Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito But Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to Let's go, dude. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was the only way that we could start Car Chronicles podcast episode 10. Uh, the voice you heard, Mike Krzyzewski, legendary Duke coach, maybe the greatest coach in the history of college basketball. Also, maybe the worst cheer creator in the history of basketball. That was him uh, famously after the pick game on, I guess it was Tuesday night talking about why he yelled at the Cameron Crazies who had been chanting at Jeff Capel and then giving them a, a couple of cheer suggestions. Like, you know, let's go Duke. Come on, Duke. Defense. What if the, First of all, Mike Rutherford, Dan Sennard here with you. We're, we're going to talk global basketball here very shortly. But my question is, what if the Cameron Crazies, I've got no idea who they're playing next at Cameron Indoor, but what if the Cameron Crazies legit took Coach K for his, at, at his word, heeded his advice, and those were the only cheers they used the next time they played a game. What if they did that for the North Carolina game? Would it be the worst atmosphere in the history of basketball? I mean, the way that Coach K is pretty much revered up at Duke, it literally wouldn't shock me if that's what we hear, you know, for the next game. Uh, I think, yeah, Coach K is reaching that stage. I mean, granted, best college coach of all time, in my opinion. Um you know, definitely respected, not just by, you know, the people that played for him, but also uh, NBA players since he coached the dream team. But I feel like we're kind of getting into like the Bobby Knight territory a little bit where everyone was like, okay, you know, what's going on here? We're, we're getting close to the end. I feel like, Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was ridiculous. Let's think of a different chair. Defense. Let's go. Come on, Duke. Yeah. Yeah. It's the pounding of the table that gets me every time. It's not just the cheers. It's the it's the pounding of the table, the look on his face. I mean, I I think you're right. Like it does sort of feel like we're getting to a point where uh, I don't know. He's doing stuff that would not be acceptable. People would make fun of him a whole lot more if this were like second year head coach kind of floundering at Duke and nobody really knew who he was. Um, now he's getting made fun of just because it's coach K and people hate coach K uh, because he's successful and uh, because he gets, uh, you know, he, he does annoying stuff and gets away with it. But it does sort of feel like we're getting to those last final years where we're going to look back and we're going to say, had some good teams. Zion was, was, was unreal. That team was so fun to watch, but he did some really weird shit. And I, I think that this is, is the latest example. I'll ask you this. Cause everybody always does the, which coach from your conference would you have the most fun with if you took him out to a bar? I'll put it this way. If you had to be in a social situation with people you respected and you needed a 
you know, you needed to bring an ACC coach along for the evening. Is there anybody who would be worse in that situation than Mike Krzyzewski? Because I, I don't think so. He would drink wine the entire time. I don't think he's touched a beer since 1971. I feel like he would very quickly in the conversation start talking about why he thinks society has gone to hell and, and why the generation of you know the millennials are ruining everything. And he'd share some very over-the-top political thoughts that you would be uncomfortable with. I think Coach K would be the worst. Is there anybody else in the ACC that you feel like I'm missing? I think you're correct. There'd be a lot of boomer talk. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I have to tell this story. So we, you know, we know someone um, that happened to, at one point in their life, date the sister of a former Duke basketball player yep. um, who will we'll keep him unnamed. But uh, may or may not rhyme with Ron Cryer. <laughs> yeah, Ron Cryer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> May or not be on the staff as we speak. But anyways, <laughs> uh, the story goes that um, the player, Ron Cryer, uh, had his grandma come to an out-of-town game. And uh, so the grandma just loved Coach K from the very beginning when they recruited him. Uh, she, you know, Coach K reached out to her and said how excited he was to have, you know, the son uh, coming to Duke. And then on the, they even let, the grandma ride on the team plane to wherever the out of town game was. And he came over and sat with, uh, you know, his, gra his grandma and she's like, Oh, coach K is the sweetest blah, blah, blah. And they even got to sit right behind the bench for the game. Well, this player apparently had a very poor first segment of the game. <laughs> and apparently uh, during the first time out, all you hear is Coach K slamming his clipboard. Said, "You better pick your fucking shit up!" Like, right, right in front of the grandma. She's like, "Oh my!" So yeah, we we, we do get one Coach K in in front of the press, um, but I believe behind closed doors, it's it's gonna it's uh it's different from what we've heard. And I feel like everybody who's ever been to a game at Cameron Indoor Stadium and had like decently nice seats seats close enough that you could hear what coach K is talking about has said the exact same thing. They're like the, the, just the stream of profanity that comes out of his mouth. It's like the dad from a Christmas story. Like he just, he, he just weaves in, in curse words, the way that some people weave uh, in poetry. Like that's just seems to be the coach K persona. Also, let's not gloss over. Are you allowed to fly grandmas to games on the team plane? Do we just get Duke on probation here on the car Chronicle podcast? Is that what's going to happen here? Feel like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna get a call here from the NCAA <laughs> any second. It's like, oh, we, does this dumpster Dan? Uh, I heard there was a story. That's like, uh, that's a wrong number. Uh, so, anyways, Duke wins that game. Um, they, like everybody else in the ACC, are now looking up at the Louisville Cardinals because Florida State lost to Virginia the other night. Louisville now alone in first place. They obviously backed that up with their win on Wednesday in Chestnut Hill over Boston College. We'll get to that game in just a second, but before we do. Thought we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention the fact that earlier tonight, we're recording this late Thursday, so earlier tonight, we found out that uh, former Cardinal Donovan Mitchell is going to be a Western Conference All-Star for the first time. Yes. Um, a lot of people saw it coming, I think, but there were some, like, Kentucky fans very upset that Donovan was taken over Devin Booker, even though I don't think Donovan was the last guy to make the roster. I think that that was actually, who was it? Yeah. People were saying it was, it was uh, Westbrook. Or okay. Chris Paul, one of the I, two, probably. I saw a lot of people saying it was Chris Paul. So, you know, direct your ire elsewhere. Donovan definitely deserves it. 25 points per game for a Utah Jazz team. It's 32 and 15 at the moment. Um, 
I'll ask you this. Early podcast trivia time. And don't feel bad when you miss it because I would have had no idea. Kelly Dickey at Real Card Game on Twitter uh, put this out there. Actually, last year when, when somebody had asked him about it, do you know the last time that a former Louisville player was an NBA All-Star? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, God. I mean, I literally want to say, like, Griff. I feel like we haven't had any. Um, yeah, I'll just go with Griff because I can't think of one. I would have said Griff as well. Griff was never an all-star. He was the NBA Rookie of the Year. I think he was all-rookie team. Um, he was in the dunk contest. That's the only reason I thought maybe since he was in the dunk contest that he made it. But I guess back in the day, it didn't matter. Yeah, never got an all-star nod. We have not had a Louisville player be in the all-star game since 1975, which just kind of blows your fucking mind a little bit when you think about what Louisville basketball has accomplished since 1975. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, when I think Louisville basketball, like big accomplishments, and I know that you know, Peck Hickman did some stuff, um, they won the NAIA title, but like I think back to the Final Four run in 75, which the team we just honored last weekend, and when you look at our All-Stars all time, they're all 1975 or prior, which, which is just astounding. In that 75 All-Star game, we had Jim Price and Wes Unseld actually play. Wes Unseld is a, the only former Louisville player to be a multi-year All-Star. He was an All-Star five different times. Uh, Butch Beard was an All-Star in 1972, and then Jack Coleman and Chuck Noble preceded them. So Donovan Mitchell, just the sixth Louisville player ever to be an NBA All-Star. Isn't that kind of crazy? Yeah, I kind of want to sweep that stat under the rug. That's a, I know. That's a little disturbing, but yeah, just congrats to Donovan. I mean, he if, if there's a guy that's more deserving I kind of want to see it because I will say when when he went out his sophomore year I wasn't hesitant about him playing in the NBA but I, I guess you could say I, I had a couple question marks I didn't know if he could shoot enough consistently but what I underestimated was his work ethic and um, you know obviously we knew his athletic ability would carry him a long way but you can just tell that he's a guy that, that works on his craft did I foresee an NBA all-star in his future? Probably not. But I feel like I have the hardest time like projecting NBA players. Like it's like impossible for me. Like I, I have someone in mind. Is there someone that like succeeded in the NBA who like you look back in college and you're like, I would have missed this by like 10,000%. Because I have someone specifically in mind. Well, first of all, I totally agree with you. I, I think any Louisville fan who says that they saw Donovan Mitchell being an all-star in year three, slam dunk contest champion, like the face of a franchise that looks like it's set up to be one of the best in the Western Conference for a long time, I think you're lying. Like, I, I thought he could be a decent NBA player. I thought he could be a good NBA player. I did not think he would be one of the, you know, 15 to 20 best players in the world, which is what he is right now, due with a shoe contract and all this good stuff. I actually thought if you, if you were asking me to project players from that like era of time, like the middle part of the last decade, who I thought could be absolute stars. I thought Terry Rozier was going to be the bigger star in the NBA. I thought he just had his game translated better. He had that bounce. I think you also, like, because you're right about Donovan, just hit the ground running, the work ethic and all that good stuff. He also fell into a really good situation in Utah. I mean, yeah. year one, you know, you lose Gordon Hayward. They have all those injuries. He's basically relied to be this just high usage player. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to start going into the year. And then he's option scoring option one that entire season, and he thrives. And, and as a result, they invest you know their entire future into him. But back to your your second question, as far as a guy who has had success in the NBA that I didn't see coming, I will always say this: like I watched 
so much college basketball towards the end of the last decade, like that, you know, 2005 through 2010. I, I feel like we're going to say the same person, but go ahead. Russell Westbrook shocked me. Like, I, I thought when you look at his stats at UCLA, he did nothing his freshman year. I think he averaged like 4.5 points per game. And his sophomore year, his scoring numbers weren't great. I don't even think he was the leading scorer on that team. I think um, uh, Darren Collison was. And he was like the Pac-12 defensive player of the year. That's what he was known for. But the fact that he was picked third. I remember watching the NBA draft and being like, what the fuck is going on? Like, he, yeah, he's an athlete. Yeah, he's good. But like, that seems way too high. Maybe he'll wind up being a, a good player who's like a defensive stopper. I never would have thought he'd be a guy who'd be, you know, posting triple doubles at a rate that we haven't seen in our, in our lifetime. Um, so that's mine. That No, that's a really good choice. Um, so mine is someone that the cards used to play against a decent amount. Uh, the old Pittsburgh center, Stephen yeah. Adams. Yeah. I just cannot believe what an NBA career he's had. All I can think about is, uh, was it was that the Derek character years or was that David Padgett? No. Used to, uh, I can't remember. Someone used to just take him to school. Those were like, Aaron not, Gray. That, that was Aaron Gray. Okay, okay, there. yeah. Okay, but I do, I mean, I just remember Adams, like, he was so soft, like, his freshman and sophomore year. And this is, like, before he was all tatted up and, had, like, you know, looked like the um, Game of Thrones character, basically. But, um, yeah, it, I cannot believe what a career he's had after watching him at Pitt for, you know, the couple years that he was there. So I was, I, I remember that draft. It was the... 2013 draft it was the year after we won the national title and I was in I think Hilton Head with my wife uh, then I guess girlfriend and her family and I vividly remember following that draft we were at dinner I was following it on the tv at the bar at the restaurant and I sent some you could probably find this you can old take expose me if you want to I sent some very aggressive tweets about Stephen Adams being taken ahead of Gorgie Zhang in that draft <laughs> I think I think I pulled like the how does team do this year finishing the big east this year oh dead last like like he had a great year though like that blew my mind that he was taken ahead of Gorgie and that people thought he could be a serviceable NBA center so I 100% agreement the fact that he's had the type of career that he has absolutely shocks me Gordon Hayward too like I, I thought that he was um a, a guy who was just kind of like the, the the hot name because Butler had made the run to the final uh, to the national title game in back-to-back years and he'd almost hit the shot and he you know was was the best player on that team. I thought it was a just a crazy to take him in the first round of the draft and here he is doing what he's been doing. But uh, enough talk about that. We'll move on to the actual Louisville Cardinals. We mentioned the fact that they are now 9 and 1. We're halfway home uh, in ACC play. Louisville the only team with just one conference loss. It's the best start that they've had to an ACC ACC season. Since joining the conference, it's also the longest winning streak at seven games that they've had since joining the ACC. And it happened because Louisville goes up to Chestnut Hill on Wednesday night and beats Boston College 86-69. to Very nice victory for the Cards. Dan, uh, we do the overreactions, how we get the conversation started here. What's your big overreaction to Louisville beating Boston College by 17? Uh, the overreaction is that we just look like we're we're clicking right now, especially on the offensive end. We're playing really loose, which I like. Um, I know we did have more turnovers, uh, especially in the first half, than we would have cared to see. But it just seems like the guys, I know Fresh had a rough game, but everyone's playing with a lot of confidence right now. Uh, you know, Jordan was phenomenal last night, so props to him. Uh, when he gets it going like that, I mean, we're just a, a, a different team. And it's so nice having guys like, you know, 
David be able to run point and he can either get to the basket, but I think when he's running point, I mean, he is looking to get Jordan shots whenever he can get it. And I think from now to the end of the season, you're only going to see Jordan's opportunities increase. I know that people are probably going to key in on him as well, but you know, I, I just think that by scoring the way he did last night, he's a big confidence guy. And I think that's just going to be huge for him going down the stretch. You know, we got big rebounds from Malik. I know he had, what, 13 rebounds. Uh, yeah, I, I just think we're playing well. I know the competition besides Duke has been a little down. So, you know, I'm I'm tempted to get, you know, I'm trying not to get overly excited. But, I mean, how could you not be right now? I, I think this is the, the best that we've played, you know, obviously all year. And coming into February, it's what you want to see. Has anyone ever been more aware of the fact that they needed one shot to get to 40 points than Jordan Wara was last night? Like, he was absolutely hunting shots there at the end. He wanted 40. I think he admitted it after the game, which I like. He was like, yeah, everybody wanted me to get 40, so I was going after it pretty hard. Um, It reminded me of, I think Russ Smith was the the last player to score this many points in a game, or more points in a game. He did it in the, uh, the AAC tournament in 2014. And when he had, when he was hunting 40, it was the most obvious thing in the entire world that they wanted to get him 40. And I think he made a, he hit the mark on a free throw and right away, Patino was like, all right, get the fuck out of the game. <laughs> like, like, like what, what are we doing there? Uh, but everybody wanted him to get to that mark. Unfortunately, Jordan didn't get there, but um, maybe this will, I, I say this knowing full well that it won't because you know, the, the story, the quick game write up that I put on car Chronicle last night was it, it led with the headline, you know, Jordan Wars career high carries Louisville to victory or, or something along those lines. And immediately, I get like three responses from people who are like, whoa, like big deal. Do it against a, a team that matters as if this motherfucker didn't score 32 points against the highest ranked team that we played all season. People just gloss over that fact. I don't know. Maybe it's because everybody else was so bad against Florida State, but he had 32 in the game against FSU. I know he didn't play well against Kentucky. I know he didn't play great against Texas Tech. I know he wasn't fantastic in the win over Duke, but I would argue that in, in the Duke game, he kind of just. He, he didn't force things. I think the Kentucky game, he absolutely forced some stuff. I think the Georgia Tech game was probably his worst game of the year. But I thought, I mean, he's going to have nights like this, and he's going to have nights where teams take away his ability to catch and shoot, and he's not going to have as much success offensively. And that's fine if you have other guys step up. And thankfully for Louisville, the last three weeks, people have stepped up. So I like, I'll, I'll use this as my big overreaction, and I'll see if you agree or disagree. I think we now know that we can win a game with Jordan War going off for 30 or more points. And we can win a big game with Jordan Wara scoring like 10 points. Like I, I would have thought coming into the season, we would need him to at least have, you know, 20 to 25 points against a quality opponent for us to win. I don't think that's the case anymore. Like, I, I think we're going to have games where he goes off. I think we're going to have games where he's more of a distraction, where we, we benefit because teams are paying too much attention to him. And we can get by with him not carrying the load offensively. Agree or disagree? I, I agree with that, and I think the main reason that is happening, I think early in the year when you would see Jordan go off, um, obviously we knew he was capable of, the, capable of that, but there was just no ball movement involved. It was all him going one-on-one, and we weren't really a good passing team at that point in the year. And I think since this winning streak has started, our passing has just been phenomenal. Um, obviously, you know, Dave has changed things a lot. But, you know, even guys like Ryan and Fresh, they're they're finding guys by driving in the lane and kicking out for open shots. And I just think the ball movement has been a lot better. And it's it's given guys other opportunities to score. But, no, it is nice to see if Jordan's able to 
you know, to put up a game like that, um, you know, obviously one by 17. And if he's not, you know, we've seen that other guys can can step up and, and make big plays and, you know, big plays down the stretch. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We keep bearing the lead here too. I, I'm I'm always mean to mention this right at the beginning of the podcast. Unfortunately, Coach K, yeah, I had to do what I had to do there. He stole my thunder, but deservedly so. But Louisville now, let's make it let's make it a point. Still undefeated since the Card Chronicle podcast launched. A lot of people always remind me of this. I always forget it myself. And everybody's like, "You've got to keep doing the pods between games." That's not going to be a problem. If Louisville's playing a game, we will have a podcast before and after every single game we play, at least until this losing streak stops or winning streak stops. And even when that happens, I think we're still going to keep potting with the same level of frequency. So are we taking full credit for this? Absolutely. There's, there's oh, no 100, doubt. A hundred percent. And like the fact that Louisville even threw in a nice two, three zone last night just tells me that Chris has been listening to the podcast. Cause what up, Chris? we kind of talked about earlier in the, you know, our first couple of podcasts, it would be nice if he could throw like a new defensive wrinkle in there in case the pack line wasn't working. And last night, you know, Boston College came out looking like Golden State for some reason. I'll give them credit. They hit some tough shots. Uh, I we Our defense could have been better in the first half, but Boston College definitely shot a lot better than, you know, they uh, their their stats on paper would show. But, you know, credit to us. We, we threw that 2-3 zone on him. Dave, we had him out in the front of the zone looking long and athletic, tipping balls. Um, you know, yeah, it was nice to see us throw a little wrinkle in there and make some adjustments. I don't think I can fully explain how terrified I am to write game previews when I see that we're playing a bad shooting team because every time I do it, like, and even this time, like I put it in the game preview that like at the risk of this blowing up in my face and this team, like going against every stat in a few hours, Boston college is a horrific shooting team and they are like they are 322nd in the country in three point shooting. They are like 278 in two point shooting. They're 320th in free throw shooting. And like, those are stats. That's not me coming out and just saying, well, I've watched them play a couple of times. It looks like they're a bad shooting team. Those are actual numbers. And every time I do that, the team comes out in the first half, knocks down like seven of 10 of their first 10, three pointers. People seem to blame me for this. Like, oh, yeah, why am I even listening to this fucking guy? The Minnesota game in the NCAA tournament, yeah. I still feel like I lost that game because I had to keep talking about how, how badly they shot. And the same thing happened. They did kind of, and I think this probably played a part in Matt going to the zone. You knew they were going to come back down to earth a little bit. And, and by the end, I think they ended up shooting about 31% from three, which they're on the season 29% from three. So it was about, it ended up being about what it's what it usually is. Seven of 22 was their final number from beyond the arc. But that first half, I mean, I don't. I think it was a little bit Louisville being sleepy on defense for stretches. I think it was more about Boston College just playing out of their minds. And usually, when that's the case, they regress back in the second half to to what we think they're going to be. And that's exactly what happened with BC. But I'm with you on the the Chris Mack going to the two three zone. One of my favorite things about him through the first you know not even two seasons here is that he doesn't seem to have that 
that stubbornness that I think ruins a lot of coaches at the end of their coaching career, he'll he'll mix and match stuff. If he if he, he'll get away from some of his base things, and we saw that at the beginning of the year with him going away from the high ball screen offense that we saw basically the entire season last year to more of a fluid motion continuity half court set that he thinks fits the personnel better. And we've seen a, a couple of wrinkles. We've seen the press come out from time to time. But I think now with the 2-3 zone, especially like you said with David Johnson being able to be at the point of it, that's another weapon you can use against teams, not just like Boston College that don't shoot that well from the outside, but you can use that against Florida State. We saw them throw that out there in the second half, and it rattled Florida State momentarily, and then they kind of settled themselves and hit some outside shots. But I think you can use that when you play them in Tallahassee. You could use that if you were playing Kentucky a second time. The only issue that they had against BC, because they forced bad shots, and for the most part, they forced misses in the zone. They struggled to rebound out of it, um, and, and they did foul a little bit too much. And I think those are just learning things. If, if you're not used to rebounding out of a zone, it's going to take some time because, you know, I, I think with the pack line, everybody has set responsibilities. Like the weak side rebounder is going to be in the same place every single time, and that's usually Jordan War. It's a little bit different when you're in a different spot. So I think that that's going to take some time. But I like the zone. I thought it was a cool wrinkle, and I'm glad that they busted it out. Uh, any yeah, additional yeah. thoughts there? Well, I— I, I think you're exactly right. Rebounding off the zone, that's just going to take time and, and practice. Um, but the zone isn't really something that, that we're looking to run for a full game. It's just nice to know that we have it in our back pocket in case. I, Boston College just looked comfortable on offense last night for the first half and the you know kind of the beginning of the second half. And then as soon as we put that 2-3 zone on them, um, yeah, maybe they got an offensive rebound or two. Um, I think they there was a tip ball out and they, they ended up getting a three out of it, but it just broke up their offensive rhythm. And that's all we're looking to do, even if it's for four to five possessions, just to kind of change the momentum of the game. That's that's really all they need it for. Um, but it, hopefully it's something that we keep improving on, because like you said, I, I think it looked great last night and I, I would like to see it more. Um, plus, it you know, I know, obviously, a coach wouldn't want to hear this, but it kind of gives our guys a, a little chance to rest a little bit more on defense versus chasing guys off screens for, you know, 25 seconds. And um, it, it kind of gives us maybe a little more legs on offense. I totally agree about it, it being almost as much about getting a team out of rhythm or getting them to think different thoughts that as it is, you know, being something that's just, just standardly effective uh, in a half court set. It's kind of like if a pitcher's in a real big rhythm when you just call time, just kind of throwing them out there, just making them do something different and get out of that rhythm. And you saw how effective that was against BC on Wednesday night. Um, also, before we move on to anything else, how about our guy first segment, Darius Perry? Is he the greatest player in the history of college basketball? God, I, I, I got to admit, I, was, I, I said last podcast, Darius might just be a guy that plays well at home. He is really playing well right now, so props to him. Uh, and you hit you hit it right on the head with the first segment. Uh, he he's going to be the guy that comes out shooting early, and uh, I also think he's a big confidence guy. Uh, so it's I mean some of the the shots that he hit were were tough shots. So um, it's it's good to see him playing. It's good to see I like to see Darius when things are going well and he has a a great attitude and he's smiling, having fun in the court. It, it seems like that kind of adds a, another element to our team. I, I think he can be a real weapon for us if if his head is in the right place going down the stretch. And right now, I think he's playing with as much confidence as he's had, you know, probably since, you know, the end of the last years when he started playing good around the ACC tournament time. 
and even if he has some bad games, you know those first four minutes are going to be great. Like he's going to give you two made jumpers every single time. It's just it, it's who he is. It's what he does. Hashtag first segment Darius, best player in college basketball. Um, one thing before we look a, a little bit ahead to NC State, I haven't heard anybody talk about this. I, it's been maybe one of the bigger developments of the season just because of what happened last year. We're really good at handling press. Uh, and I know that we haven't really played a team that likes to get out and go you know, up and down, full court press constantly for 40 minutes. Kentucky did that a little bit in the game uh, in Rupp Arena. But whoever's done it, like Florida State will do it. We've handled it really, really well. And that's obviously such a far cry from where we were a year ago. And it's a little bit interesting because our only reliable guard against pressure last year was Kristen Cunningham. You lose him. You you have Darius Perry, who was a little bit bipolar at the beginning of the season. You have Fresh Kimball, who's a good scorer and obviously a clutch player, but hasn't been nearly the facilitator and the floor general that Cunningham was a year ago. You've got Ryan McMahon back, but he still has his own size limitations. And then you add in a freshman point guard who a lot of people thought wasn't a true point guard coming out of high school. And yet Louisville has been fantastic at, at handling pressure. I can only remember a couple of times this year where they've given it away in a really bad fashion against a full court press. Like that's a, that's a big comfort to have, especially when you're looking ahead to March and entering the final week of the regular or month of the regular season. The fact that you can't just come out and throw a gimmicky defense at these guys and they're going to shit themselves and give the ball away a bunch of times. We've been really good against full court pressure this year. We saw it a little bit on Wednesday and Louisville had zero, zero trouble with it whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. And it is nice having, you know, a couple capable ball handlers on the floor. I know you said we had that last year, but I don't know. There's, there's something there about having fresh or, or DJ with the ball. And if we do have Darius and, and Ryan beside him, um, you know, I, I just have a little bit more comfort knowing that we have, you know, a couple capable ball handlers in the backcourt. But another thing we're doing that Dave is really good at this is he's very good at advancing the ball from the, like he can throw like uh, an advanced pass all the way down from one side of the court to find like an open Jordan or an open Ryan, like, you know, standing at the three point line. And, you know, when you have shooters down on the other end and you have a guard that can make that pass, it, it, it's great. And I think teams probably see that in the scouting report and maybe or maybe uh, or maybe a little more hesitant to, you know, kind of lay a full court press on us. No, totally agree. Uh, David Johnson, I guess we should talk about him really briefly, because if you're a Louisville podcast, I think at this point you're contractually obligated to do at least three or four minutes on David Johnson, regardless of what the situation is. It's David Johnson. Everybody wants to talk about him. Um, but he was a little bit up and down in this game. I mean, you look at the numbers, two of nine, only six points, and you would say, well, four turnovers, he had a bad game. But then you keep looking, well, he had eight rebounds. Well, he had six assists. Well, he had, uh, what, uh, three steals. He impacts the game. He's one of those guys, and it's why I think when he misses a couple of jump shots, I, I, I sort of cringe when he looks to, to shoot himself out of that slump. You don't need him to do that on this team. Like, he can affect games. If he goes three of four from the floor with, you know, three layups and, and maybe a missed outside shot, but he has the the seven assists, the couple of hockey assists, he, he's rebounding the ball effectively, he's playing great defense, he's he's disrupting opponent, opposing guards, he can be the best player on the floor with having a stat line that doesn't exactly pop out at you. He doesn't need to score 20 points a game or, or even have the scoring effort that he had against Duke to have that same type of effect against a really good team. Like, he did a bunch of little stuff in this game that I thought was fantastic. He made a couple of of freshman mistakes and he did probably shoot too much and missed a couple of chippies. But like you said, I think just the ability to make the cross court pass to an open shooter on the wing 
and not just make that pass, but like uh, Eric Crawford was saying on Twitter, hit him in the shooter's pocket. Like, hit him so he's in rhythm, so he doesn't have to collect himself and let the defense recover. Those are the types of things that we haven't seen other Louisville guards be able to do in recent years just because they don't have the size. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, I, you know, when you say he's making freshman mistakes with turnovers, and I saw that on Twitter last night, my deal is right now I could care less. Dave is trying to feel himself out for what he can get away with in the college game versus what he could get away with in the high school game. And sometimes that, that you know, the uh, the byproduct of that is there's going to be turnovers. Um, so I'm completely okay and comfortable with kind of whatever decisions that he's making right now because I feel like he's the type of kid that will learn from him and, you know, not make the same mistake twice. And you were talking about the cross, cross-court pass. When they run that kind of high ball screen for him, you can just see him with his eyes as he's setting this up. He's looking at that defender that's either going to help off the wing shooter or drop down and cover the big guy under the basket. So mm-hmm. it's nice that Dave is hitting this guy square in the chest um, you know, with the cross-court pass because a lot of teams – you'll probably see in later games kind of step out to that shooter and Dave will be able to just drop that off under the basket for an easy two. And if you've watched the last couple of weeks when David's been in the game, that high ball screen, whoever's been doing the screening, whether it's Stephen Enoch or Malik Williams, or it's usually just one of those two. We don't do that whole lot of that stuff with Dwayne or with with Jordan, kind of like we did with Fresh and Darius at the beginning of the year. But they're rolling to the basket hard. There's none of the pick and pop stuff. There's none of the feeling it out. And it's for exactly the reason that you just said. If you roll hard, it's going to make the help defender come over and have to double. They call it the tag man in, uh, in basketball lingo. But when that guy drops down, David has the ability to hit whoever's on the wing on the other side of the floor, whether it's Jordan or whether it's Dwayne or whether it's Ryan, in like a, a millisecond. And I don't think the other guards have that ability, and it's why you're seeing that high ball screen now become more of a part of Louisville's offense again. And he runs it so well. And I, I'm totally with you, too, on the – I'm okay with him trying to make the, you know, quote unquote Hollywood pass because he is feeling out exactly what he can do. It remind in a weird way, it's sort of like a Russ Smith situation. Um, if you want to use his passing and compare it with Russ Smith scoring, like you were okay with Russ taking some weird shots because you felt like he's going to make that same shot the next three times, or because he misses it this time, he's going to know how to adjust himself and, and make it the next time he attempts it. So you kind of just let him get away with some stuff that looked really bad because you knew it was going to ultimately lead to something that looked really good. And that's kind of the way that I feel with DJ and his passing and some of the mistakes we've seen in recent weeks. So uh, any parting thoughts here on this Boston College game before we turn the page? Uh, On the Boston College game, uh, you know, uh, what did we win by, 16-17? To be honest, it's kind of what I I expected. Um, Yeah, this is a DJ-sponsored podcast, so... Basically, for me, <laughs> I just keep the ball in that kid's hands and he can do whatever he wants. I really think he's that good and he's he's that big of a game changer for our team. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he can do going forward. Is there any chance this is not the last time that we play a Jim Christian coach Boston College team? Probably not. Yeah, no. I mean, that love you, Jim. Old, old, old Jim didn't really do a lot for me in the time. I know they did beat us last year, so we we. Hopefully got him extended for one more year. But, yeah, time's run out, buddy. Also not a very attractive job. So when you get rid of Jim Christian, you got to think about who the hell is going to take over that gig. And it's like 95% that it's going to be a guy that we've never heard of. It's going to be like the assistant at Stony Brook. Um, you know, Steve Peichel, <laughs> he's killing it at Rutgers. Let's go get the second guy at Stony Brook and see what happens. So uh, best of luck to Boston College. 
I feel for you. I don't know why you're in this conference. You don't fit at all, um, but whatever. Love you, Jim. I appreciate the wins over the years. Let's move on. Louisville uh, probably going to face a tougher challenge on Saturday, 2 o'clock tip when they go to Raleigh, North Carolina, and face a suddenly reeling NC State Wolfpack. They seemed, uh, you know, a, a week ago when we were talking, they'd beaten Virginia. It, was a, it seemed like a huge victory for them on the road. They had won, I think, three in a row at that point, and we're looking like the clear fourth best team in the ACC. Then suddenly they lose to Georgia Tech. They lose at home to a North Carolina team that has been downright awful this season. Uh, still, is a team with a lot of talent. They've got a great point guard in Markel Johnson. They've got a good inside player in DJ Funderburk, and they're desperate. Like they now feel like they're trending back towards being on the wrong side of the bubble. They need a signature win, and in this conference there are, aren't a whole lot of opportunities. This is definitely one for them. I guess scale of one to 10, how nervous are you about this game on Saturday? How nervous one to 10? Um, I would say I'm at about a, a five. I think it there, I could see us going up there and losing, but I'm not expecting it. Uh, I would expect a good crowd for a two o'clock Saturday game against a top, you know, 10 opponent. So I think it'll be a, a, a good atmosphere. Uh, but yeah, like you said, they're struggling. I, uh, defense has never really been their calling card, but they're actually in conference play kind of struggling to to score the ball as well, which was kind of unexpected going into the season. So I think what I think if, uh, you know, we can I think we'll score points. I just think if we lock down on the defensive end, um, I'm, I would say I don't know what the spread's going to be. Um, I think we could I'll say seven to eight points. Uh, I would hope to win by, but you know that's just kind of wishful thinking, I guess. But we'll see. Yeah, Ken Palm has this game only seventy-two to sixty-nine in Louisville's favor, so I'd expect the spread. I think maybe it'll open up a little bit more heavy on Louisville than Ken Palm has it, maybe like three and a half, four. Uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But yeah, the, like all the metrics expect this to be kind of a nip and tuck game. I think with NC State, it's a little bit of a different situation than it is on than it looks like it is on paper because. They've got a couple guys dinged up. Braxton Beverly, who played pretty well against us last year, if I remember correctly, the little uh, shooter. He's coming off the bench. He's been a little bit hurt. He has not played well in recent weeks. Um, Bra- uh, Markel Johnson has been asked to shoulder more of the scoring load, and that's not really what he's good at. And I'm the biggest Markel Johnson fan in the world. I think his ability is, is unreal. He's kind of like a, a slightly smaller David Johnson in that he's got that, that skinny, kind of versatile, quick handle and, and can make those cross-court passes. He's got no offensive talent around him is, is the issue. C.J. Bryce has been kind of their number two since he made the transfer from UNC Wilmington to follow Kevin Keats. He's been awful recently. He was 0 of 8 in the North Carolina game. He's not knocking down open shots. Their only other real offensive talent, the only guy that, that threatens you, is D.J. Funderburk, their big guy. And he's been – like he's a great scorer. He, his offensive numbers are fantastic for the season. He's not a great defensive player. I think Garrison Brooks of North Carolina, if you watch that game – on Monday night, just ate him up uh, on the other end of the floor. But he can definitely score. He'll be a nice challenge for Stephen Enoch and for Malik Williams. But the big thing with NC State is because they've been so thin and because they don't have the type of athletes that, that Kevin Keats wants them to have, they can't play his style. Like They have not been getting up and down. If you watch, the, uh, the again, the Carolina game on Monday, I don't think they pressed at all if I, unless they, until they got behind late and they were trying to make up a 10-point deficit. Like They're not going to be the same NC State team that we've seen the last couple of years. And I, 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 I'm, I think that's good for us. I think that plays yeah. into our hands. Um, I, I'm okay with that. Johnson's a tough guard, but if you can make him 
try to beat you with jump shots. I, I don't think he can do that. He's not a consistent outside shooter. If he's getting to the rim and scoring at will, that's a problem. If he's setting up other guys, that's a problem. But if you can just stay in front of him and, and force him to take that 18-foot jumper or you know, obviously three-pointers, then I think that you're in, in pretty good shape. So it's a game that worries me just for kind of off-the-floor reasons, just like the, the little intangible stuff, like the, how badly they need it, how badly the crowd's going to want it. The fact that we're coming off a nine o'clock game in Boston and playing a two o'clock game on Saturday. But as far as like matchups, we're just a better team than they are. And hopefully that winds up being the deciding factor in this game is that Louisville's just a, simply a better team that's playing better at this point in time. But it, I mean, you mentioned pretty confident about this game. Anything that worries you outside of just NC State being desperate for a win? I wouldn't say anything worries about me. One thing. Uh, that a stat that I came across that I hope it's something that maybe we can work on and get rectified. And it kind of shocked me when I saw this Louisville is two point field goal percentage in ACC play. We're shooting 42%, which is 14th in the ACC, which I tells me that we're relying a lot on the three point shot. And I guess we're doing a pretty good job of getting to the line as well. Um, but you know, I would really like to have a Steve game here soon where we can kind of establish him. I know we're in a good offensive rhythm and, you know, I really can't nitpick anything we're doing offensively, but I would like to see um, Steve kind of get the ball in the post a little bit more because I think there's probably going to be a a game down the line where, you know, we're going to have to just kind of ride Steve for a little bit. And it seems like lately, He's been kind of between like six and 12 points a lot, um, which is fine. But I think I would like to see that number improve from a a two point percentage standpoint. No, I totally agree because I'm with you. I think there's going to be a game at some point where the outside shots just aren't falling like they have been the last few weeks. And we're going to need an inside presence to we're going to there's going to be a game this year where we're going to need Stephen Enoch to give us somewhere around 20 points to win. And he hasn't been doing that recently. And he, it's not like he hasn't had opportunities. We've been trying to force feed him in, in a couple of these recent games, and he just has not been getting the job done. So would like to see him get off the schneid there a little bit. Malik, I thought, was he had 13 rebounds, which was tied for his career high, I, I think. But he looked a little bit gimpy to me. He, he looked a little bit like the knee was bothering him. I don't know if that was something that came into play. He played great defense, but he just looked a little bit out of sorts offensively. I think he's still a little bit dinged up, but he's trying to play through it. Um, and his offensive game has been kind of hit or miss all season long, so I don't really put the the onus uh, for, for being the offensive firepower down low on him. I think that's not who he is at this point. He, he, he's going to have games where he plays pretty well, but that's more of, of the load that Steve needs to handle. Yeah, I, I absolutely love everything that Malik's doing right now. I think he's giving us exactly what we need. He's playing good defense. He's rebounding. He's blocking shots when he needs to, and he's just hustling his ass off. Uh, I, I absolutely love the season he's having. Um, and, and coming into high school, he was known more for being kind of an outside shooter score. And I mean, we obviously have seen the last couple of years that he's capable of stepping out and hitting that three. And it's, it's a testament to him that he's kind of accepted that role of kind of the, the defensive stopper for our team and, and kind of the leader on that end. So I just think it's great that he's bought in all the way of what coach Mack wants him to do. And, I just love the way that, um, you know, he's kind of developed this year. All right. Well, before we get to um, your Dan in the Dump story, 
we have a I mentioned DJ Funderburk, the the post player for NC State, who's a really good offensive player, not a great defensive player. He had a DJ in the dumps moment back in October. He was actually suspended for the beginning of the season. I, I'm sure some of you listening remember this story, but he had so many outstanding parking tickets. I think it was like $330 worth <laughs> that they came to his car, which was at the, the NC State Arena, and they put four boots on it. So he had four boots on his car. He was able to, after he got out of practice and saw what had happened, he apparently got two of them off and then just drove away with the other two that were still on his car. Not the smartest move in the entire world. It wasn't too hard to, for the, the local, the campus police to figure out what happened. And he was charged with property damage and was suspended for the, uh, the I think, the first two games of the season. First of all, I didn't know this was possible. As somebody who has seen boots on cars multiple times in their life, I thought the whole point was you can't drive with those things on. But props to DJ Funderburg. He just said, fuck it. Um, you're not going to hold me down today. I got places to be. I got some food to eat. I'm going back to the, uh, the apartment. And I'm driving away with these uh, these things on my car. So shout out to DJ Funderburg. That's a boss move. All right, now now I have to tell my parking ticket story. Is this so, Dan in the dumps? No, this isn't Dan in the dumps. So this okay. was just a DJ Funderburg follow up. Uh, that actually in college, I didn't think my car was registered with the university, so I just would go down there and get tickets all the time. And I was like, well, how would they even know who this is? Like, you know. But I'm just going to kind of crumple these up and keep them in my room like it wasn't a huge deal. And I mean, I probably got about, I don't know, seven or eight of them. And then I went to register for my classes. <laughs> they wouldn't let me register. I was like, what the hell? And then all of a sudden it was like, you have like five hundred dollars <laughs> outstanding parking tickets. I was like, shit. Like, how the hell did they know that was my car? I still don't know how they know. But anyways, I, 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 I sympathize with old DJ a little bit. But, yeah, that, that wasn't Dan of the Dumps. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, uh, the DJ or the D in DJ stands for Dan. There you go. You guys have yeah. more in common than you thought. Um, speaking of Dan of the Dumps is how we end every podcast that Danny's on. He has bad stuff happen to him. He has bad luck. Most of it's self-inflicted. We call this segment Dan of the Dumps. Dan, what is your... Dan in the dump story for this pod. This was just God, I'm a dumbass. This is just it was just something really stupid that happened. It like wasn't a big deal, but I just like walked out embarrassed. So like I was at the local grocery up here in Columbus recently. It's called Giant Eagle. Um, great grocery store. Um, anyways, uh I, I just picked up a couple items, like enough to fill like one bag. So I'm I'm checking out on one of those like self scanners. And I, I mean, I do this a thousand times, but for some reason, like I do it. And then it asks, like, um, if you're using a reusable bag, uh, you get like, you can redeem points on your giant Eagle card. And it was like, you can press like an up arrow to say like, you know, you're using one or two or three reusable bags. And I was like, reusable bags. I was like, what the hell? And I like, looked at like the bag I was using. I was like, I guess my wife does collect these grocery bags at home. And I was like, I also use them to like pick up dog shit. So like, you know, I, I, <laughs> I do kind of reuse these a little bit. So I hit like plus one. And as soon as I did, I must have been pondering this for like 45 seconds. Because as soon as I hit plus one, the lady that worked there literally came right up to back she goes you don't have a reusable bag and i was like <laughs> i was like oh i was like oh i'm sorry i just 
I wasn't even paying attention to the question. And she like literally took her card and like zapped the screen and like went back down to zero bags. I was like, God, just get me the hell out of here. That was humiliating. So anyways, yeah, that's, uh, that's just everyday life. Just being down in the dumps. Um, uh, all right. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the car chronicle podcast, please do us that favor. It really helps us out. Also give us a five-star rating. If you have the opportunity and you can write us a nice little review and to encourage you to do that. We like to read reviews at the end of every podcast. So here we go. Uh, Mike, the maintenance guy says it feels like purpose. Ellison is coming up to the line in a close one. You know, it's going to be good. It lives up to the hype of five stars. Unlike Samardo Samuels, a uh, little, little Samardo dig there. Yeah. Uh, that was a little jab. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, you know, he, yeah, he, I love I, it. I, hey, no, I, I agree. Yeah. I'm never nervous. I think we can say Samardo didn't live up to the hype. That's okay. Shout out to Samardo though. Big uh, fan of the pod. Uh, Levi, he loves Pelican says, excellent. I've listened to every episode and haven't heard a single boner yet. There's your first one, Levi. You just said it. There's a, there's boner. Um, Norton B says, please do more. I listen to you guys while I'm on the treadmill and you guys make the time fly by. Thank you. I think that's what we, uh, I think that's what we're going for here. If you're on the little treadmill, bit, a little bit of a humble brag on the uh, treadmill shout out, but you know what? I'm a treadmill guy, so I'm right there with you. I love it. I mean, his, his uh, username is Norton, so clearly he's fit. Like, he's a, he's a health guy. He's a hospital guy. He's, uh, this is the way that he's making this, uh, this podcast happen. Shout out to Norton B. I'm sure you're very fit. Keep running on the treadmill. Keep listening to the pod. Dan, do you have any parting thoughts here before we get out of here? Let's go up and uh, let's get that W Saturday. I'd love to play the Coach K uh, audio one more time, but I don't have it in front of me anymore. So just imagine that I did. Let's go Duke. Uh, defense. Come on, Duke. And go cards, beat NC State. We'll be talking to you guys soon. Go cards.